Hello, ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in today. If you want to contact me, you can contact me at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Again, theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today, we're taking a look at Exodus chapters 21 through 24. And so chapter 20 ends with the Ten Commandments, and then Moses is told other laws that he shares. The first is how to make an altar, and then in chapter 21, it takes us into other laws about slavery. Now, I'm not going to go through each law that is listed, but what I do want to show you is how we can interpret these laws. We first need to try to understand what the law meant to them in that time frame. And then we take that concept, that truth, and apply it into our context of life. For example, in verses 2 through 5, these laws talk of buying a Hebrew slave. Number one, it is a limited time and it's not for life. For six years they serve. After that, they can leave as a free person. If he arrives alone, if he became a slave by himself, he leaves alone. If he has a wife when he comes, he leaves with his wife. If he gets his wife from his master and then has kids, then the wife and the kids belong to the master. And so at the end of the six years, he's free to leave. But if he chooses to stay because he loves working there and he loves his family, he can stay. And then the master would take him before the judges to make it official then take him to the doorpost and there pierce his ear as a sign that he is now a servant for life at his own choosing. Now, in our day, we strongly oppose slavery and we have a picture image of the evils of slavery. In this description of slavery, we do not see those evils. The slave is treated with dignity And that shows us a bit about the God of this Bible. This can also be used as an example of when a person willfully submits to God as her master. There was even a Christian song written called Pierce My Ear by Steve Croft in the 1980s, which depicted Pierce My Ear, Lord, for I am willing to serve you the rest of my life. Now, in the 1960s and 70s, when the Christian rock and roll scene came about, men were growing their hair long, many wanted to get their ear pierced, and they used this verse to justify their behavior and their choices. In Bible times, if they saw the slave with a pierced ear, they knew it meant he chose his master. But is that what it meant in the 1960s and 70s for a man to have an ear pierced? No. Now, what's funny to me is when they are making a golden calf, it says, break off the gold earrings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. They could have used this verse as a more legitimate Bible verse to show that men had earrings, but it was not quite as holy as the one that we've just read. Ladies, the Bible teaches truths that when we align ourselves to those truths, what's the Bible trying to say? When we align ourselves to that, our lives get better. We grow in wisdom and we know God better. But when we take an action or a belief and then go to the Bible to justify it, 
We can easily make the Bible say what we want it to say, but it may not be the truth that the Bible is trying to say. Ladies, if we want to be whole, we must be women who are willing to live in truth, no matter how painful it is to face. That's one of the reasons why we have a God and why he made a way for us to approach him so that we can face the truth. Another thing to notice about the laws of God is they usually protect women and children and those who are more vulnerable, like the poor and the strangers. They are also laws of justice, such as an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. They also show intent. For instance, does the owner of the ox know that their animals hurt people? If yes, then they are responsible. If no, then just the animal is responsible. Those are laws that we can use to relate to like dog attacks, etc. It helps gives us wisdom to know what to do in different situations. It also mentions when lending money to a brother Hebrew not to charge interest. Because if they cry out to me, I will hear them for I am gracious. The God of the Old Testament is gracious. Jesus said in the New Testament, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. As a kid, I always thought of God the Father, God of the Old Testament, as this God with an iron skillet ready to pounce us as soon as we made a mistake. But Jesus was the loving and gracious God. And then the Holy Spirit just floated around somewhere. But when we read through the Old Testament, we see that the God of the Old Testament is a gracious God. And we see that the God of the Old Testament knows we're going to screw up and mess up. And he didn't just have an iron skillet to bop us over the head. We will find in the chapters ahead that he gives us ways to approach him because he knows we've messed up. And yet we can still approach this God of grace. One of the reasons for the laws is found in chapter 22, verse 31. God says these are here because we are to be a holy people. The Jews were to be different than everybody else because their God was different than the God of everybody else. In chapter 23, we have more laws about telling the truth. We are told not to take money for like a bribe because money blindeth the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. This is a warning that the church in America especially has failed to listen to. And I believe that we are seeing the repercussions of this. Then in verses 10 and 11, we see that God tells us to take care of the land and to let it rest. And on the seventh year, whatever grows from it, that's for the poor. And that's for the wild animals that need food as well. Again, God is gracious. Then we are told again that on the seventh day, we are to rest. There are then three festivals that are mentioned here, and we will look at with more detail in the books to come. Number one, you start the year with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is connected to the Passover. So that's the beginning of the year. Then there is the Feast of Harvest, which is the first fruits which is the wheat harvest, and then the Feast of Ingathering, which can also be called the Feast of Tabernacles. That is toward the end of the year with gathering the crops, especially the grape crops. 
One more thing to keep in mind about the laws of God is that they teach us how to approach God and how to deal with people, which then shows people who our God is. Remember, the Jews never spoke in a negative light about the law. It was a delight to them because it made it clear to them who God was and what was expected. They did not have to guess how to please God. He told them what they needed to do. Now in verse 20 of chapter 23, the focus switches from the law to their journey. And God will send an angel, which means messenger, before them. It could be possibly the cloud. It could be Moses, who is God's messenger. It may be the Ark of the Covenant. But anyway, it looked, it would go before them and they were called to obey. Then in verses 29 and 30, God tells them he won't drive out the people for at least a year because the land would be desolate and beasts may multiply against you. One thing about God being sovereign is that when our plans do not go like we want, God is still in the midst of doing his plan. And ladies, his plan is so much better than our plan, even if it is difficult and even if we're walking through the wilderness at times. Verse 33 also shares one of the reasons for removing the other people from the land, and that is because their gods would be a snare to them. In chapter 24, Moses comes and tells the people all the words of the Lord and of all the judgments. And they said in one voice, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. This is now the second time they said this. The first time was when Moses read the Ten Commandments. And in verse 4, it says, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He then built an altar and then he made 12 pillars which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The young men offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and Moses took the blood from those offerings, sprinkled it on the altar. Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it, and they said for a third time, all that the Lord has said we will do, and we will be obedient. And it cracks me up that it's not very long where they've broken their commitment to the Lord. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all of these words. When we get to the New Testament, especially in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, we find that Jesus shed his blood for us, and it is his blood of the covenant that is sprinkled on us. That is what makes us pure to enter into God's presence. In verses 9 through 11, Moses, Aaron, his sons, and 70 elders have an experience with God to finish that covenant agreement. And what is described is what is under God's feet, which leads us to believe that they laid on the ground, looked at the ground and not at God's face. For we know that a human would die if they saw the face of God, according to Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. After they had their experience with God, then they ate and they drank a meal together. We see that also as a pattern throughout Old Testament and New Testament of sharing a meal together. 
Then Moses was called up to the mount and the leaders went back to the people. Verse 13 says that Moses rose up with his minister, also his servant, could also be his attendant, who is Joshua. The cloud covered the mountain for six days and God's glory lodged, rested, abode there. And on the seventh day, God called Moses into the midst of the cloud and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. So ladies, what can we learn from these chapters? What questions shall we ask today? Do we come to scripture to try and justify what we believe or what we want it to say? Or do we humbly come to scripture to see what it says to us? Two, do we see the God of the Old Testament as a different God than the God of the New Testament? Three, how well are we treating our fellow humans? Do we look out for the poor? Are we good stewards of the earth which God has given us? Four, do we know that God is going before us and are we obedient to what he wants us to do? And five, have you ever seen the glory of the Lord? In the New Testament of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh, which is Jesus, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the way to experience and to know God's glory. The God of the Old Testament is also full of grace and truth. Today, ladies, if you hear his voice, let's be women who will obey. Thanks for listening.